Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25, and it says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, if you can picture this thing, scene, um, we have Jesus, he's there, they're sitting down. Okay, so um, normally, it's not like a teaching situation, right? Because if one of you guys stood up and challenged me, which um, there's been, no, I haven't had that yet. Um, anyways, but there, I've seen that happen in a church, you know. That's why we have ushers, I mean bouncers. But, you know, this is different. Back in the day, if, if Jesus was sitting down, he would be doing the teaching and all you guys would be standing is how it was. Right, so, you know, you guys complain about not having cushy chairs or something. Just remember, back in the day, the teacher would be sitting, you guys would all be standing. So this is an interesting setting. We don't know, but the, it's a setting where everybody's sitting down. And so this lawyer stood, stands up, you know, puts himself in a place of kind of prominence to, be, to kind of be heard. And, and he's, he, he tests him by saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, we don't know what this testing was. You know, we don't know if it was from a situation where he wasn't, you know, that it was from an evil testing. You know, they say, oh, it's the same word that Satan used. Well, we don't know if this was from an evil heart or, or if Satan was just trying to use this man for evil or if this guy's heart was sincere. I have, a, I have a sincere question where it was going. Or if he was just being a lawyer. In that day, a lawyer wasn't like the day lawyers we think. You know, it's not a divorce lawyer or this or this. This was a lawyer based on the Word of God. They knew and studied the Word of God and applied the Word of God and, and were experts in the Word of God and knew the law, knew the laws of Moses, knew the Old Testament. And he might have been simply testing to see, right? If you sit down, what does a lawyer do? Well, when they cross-examine somebody, they're looking to find truth, or they, well, let me, they should be looking to find truth, right? It's like if you have a meeting with a lawyer and you sit down and you're like, hey, did you murder the person? They're, they're tr probably trying to judge, you know, either if they want to take the case or, or how much you're going to have to pay them to lie or something, you know? So they're, they're, he's testing them in the sense of if, if finding this truth out. And, and it's kind of, you know, set up as maybe like a, even possibly, you know, like a trap question, you know, and I don't know if as a believer, if you've ever got those trap questions, you know, and you're just kind of like, okay, I don't, you know, know where to go with that, you know, they come up, well, you know, did Adam have a belly button? You know, dun, 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 you know, or a question like that, or, or, or you, you know, you look at, well, do you believe God created everything? Yes. Well, what about evil? Did God create evil? And then you're, you know, you're lost, and we, I can solve that real quick for you guys, though, okay? Well, let, let's play a game, okay? We're going to play a game. You, you tell me what the opposite is, okay? Up, down, okay, hot, and wrong. Let's try another one. The opposite of dark, and wrong. What is darkness? It's the absence of light. What is cold? The absence of heat. What is evil? The absence of God, because God is love, right? And so, is evil a created thing? No, I believe God created everything, and that is the lack of the creator. So, you get those questions. Anyways, I thought you guys might like that. I enjoy those things. When you slow down and look at, you know, you, you realize your first grade teacher was lying to you half the time. Um, but you sit here and you look and you go, okay, what is these things? And people throw out this, I got you. And here you have the situation. He stands up. There's this comment. It was a debate amongst the day, you know. Even there was a debate if there was eternal life. 
You had a whole group that didn't believe after you died you were gone, which is so interesting to me. I'd like to study it. I haven't, but how can you believe the Old Testament and then think you're died? You're like, God, no spirit, nothing anymore. I mean, there's a whole Jew, you know, sect of Judaism that believe that. And so you sit there, and here's this question. And Jesus responds in verse 26, and he says to him, What is it written in the law? What is your reading of it? And so he answered and he said, Well, you, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. Now, do this and you'll live. And the opposite of, of living would be dying, right? So do this and live. And, and, and talking about not just in a sense of eternal life, but living with God. Living rightly, right? And when the Bible talks about eternal life, that's what it's talking about. We, 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 our souls are all going to live forever. But the destination matters. And with who matters? The destination, more than, more than the destination, is with the person of Jesus, with our Lord. And so when he sits down and he asks this, and he says, hey, you do these things, you'll, you'll live. And, and uh, it's kind of interesting when you sit down and you go, okay, so this is kind of the law. This is how he reads the Old Testament laws, the, the Ten Commandments. And he sums them up and, you know, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, all these things. And your neighbor as yourself. And, you know, there's nothing, um, as Christians, as believers, we are to live moral and righteous lives. We are to live moral and righteous lives. We are still, we're not under the law for salvation, but we are called to live moral and righteous lives. You know, we should have no other gods before him. You know, you, should, you shouldn't, shouldn't have any idols. You should not take the Lord's name in vain. And, and some, some pastors, I, I, I think it just, you know, they simplify this by saying, oh, the law, the day, the, the holy day, Sabbath day, you don't need to do anymore. Um, I think it would be better to clarify that. We, we should still be obedient to the Sabbath. Not the day, but the person. Jesus is the Lord of our Sabbath. He is our rest. We were working six days a week, and we were to rest in God's grace and rest focusing on God once a day. Now that Jesus has come and we have the Holy Spirit Seven days a week, you can rest from working to try to earn righteousness, to prove righteousness. We can rest in the work he's done. And we don't have to live a life. And that, that really explains the differences here between the Old and the New Covenant regarding these laws is we are not trying to earn heaven. We're not trying to earn eternity. But we are working from it. We are working or we have, it's more of an evidence when you see somebody living these things and, and living this moral life, it is fruit of a relationship with God. It's a response. It should be evident. The world should see it as we walk. You know, and it says, you know, honoring your mother and father. You shall not murder. Anybody have a problem with that one? Like, hey. No. You know, should not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not bear wit false witness against your neighbor. Shall not covet. Those are things, as believers, should be fruit of our relationship with Jesus Christ in our life. And so, it is good. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart. These things are for us now, but it's not because we're trying to earn salvation. It's because of the relationship we have. You know, it's, it's one of those things of, you know, I, my wife doesn't make me dinner, so I will stay married to her. She does it because I love her. It's a response. 
It's a relationship. It's not a have to, it's a get to. You know? And, and that's how a relationship works. There should be fruit of it. And, and you know, it's amazing to see, you, you see people and they're out there doing things and, and even something came up this morning uh, from a brother who I'm, I'm praying about who's, who's caught up into some unbiblical things. And, and, and I'm sitting there looking at the scripture and you know, yeah, you cast demons out in your name and this and this and this and all. you did all these good works in my name, but you didn't know me. There, there's no fruit in the rest of his life, but, oh, but you know, I prayed for this person, they got healed. Where's the fruit in your life? Where, where's the, I don't see any of the rest of this. I don't see any relationship. God can heal people. God can use all kinds of things to heal people and maybe not even you. You know, he doesn't need us for that. It doesn't mean he didn't heal the person or something like that. But where's that relationship? That's more important. You know, and you look at those things and it, it's, it's a response. Our, our life should reflect this relationship. There should be a change. You know, if I, if I came in here and I said, hey, man, you know, right before service, I was out front and this Mack truck blew the red light and he ran me over. You'd be looking at me going, okay, where's the marks? You're standing up there. You're not limping. I see you walking, Right. How much more when you come in contact with the living God, it should leave a mark on your life. Somebody say, wow, something changed about you. And so we look at it and we go through and, and it's not, we should be righteous. You look at um, John, you know, First John, as you go through chapter three, you know, and it talks again, you know, hey, if you're son of God, if you're not living in sin, you're abiding in Christ, there should be a change. There should be fruit. People should notice it. It should be evident at your workplace, at your home, in your family, in those places. Verse 29, it's kind of interesting here. He, he, you know, this guy, we can easily pick on this lawyer, and, but, you know, and then you study it and you realize, man, I'm, I'm so much like this guy sometimes. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Like, you know, what kind of response is I just want to make sure I'm loving the right guy. I don't want to be wasting my love on the wrong guy. So let's just narrow this down. I only have so much time in a day. I can, you know, all the other things, right? What if you, you know, that's where he's a good lawyer, right? All the other things, how can you prove? We can have a long argument on how much I love God in my heart or you don't think I do, right? We can have a lot of discussions about that. When it comes to loving my neighbor, there's got to be evidence of that, right? That's something you can see. That's an action. It's like, wait a minute. Yeah, I can see you love your neighbor. you got a 12-foot fence with barbed wire and a whole bunch of signs up that says you're videotaping them. I mean, <laughs> there's, there's things that are evident, right? Like, so this guy goes, you know, I think he's pretty smart. I'm going to pick out the one that, no, you know, the, the only one you can actually, you know, nail me down on if you pulled in some witnesses, you know? Which, let's, let's define neighbor here, you know? But, but who is my neighbor? You know, I, I can do all the other. And it, it's interesting because if you looked at the same list, if you looked at the Ten Commandments, right, and you see this guy and he wanting to justify himself. I don't know about you guys, you know, I, I find myself just trying to justify myself when I shouldn't be doing something. I justify myself a lot. Every time, you know, well, not every time. See, that gets me in a lot of trouble. Sometimes when I'm looking on Craigslist and I buy something I shouldn't have, I'm justifying it to my wife, you know. But, honey... You know, so, you know, I've joked around about that a lot and probably enough. I mean, I know Kim understands. Me and Pedro are of, of the same addiction. No, <laughs> the same. 
I like to find deals on Craigslist, but you know, but we could really use this in justifying, you know, and I know I'm in trouble. It's, you know, you should have asked me first, no matter how good of a deal it is, if I would have talked to her about it first, she might have shed some light on it. I wouldn't want to believe her with the truth she would be sharing me, you know. It, it, every deal on Craigslist sounds good until I talk to Heidi, and then she's like, wait, you know, do we really need a boat? A houseboat? A 16-bedroom houseboat? Where are you going to put it? Well, we'll figure that out. No, I mean, by the way, there's a free one on No. <laughs> but you sit down and you look at this, and we can do this, though, right? But what is, but Lord, what, what is another God before you? What is an idol? Lord, is this really an idol? Well, it's a little idol, and you're the big idol. I mean, do I really have another God before you, or do I really have an idol? I mean, do I really need to rest in Jesus every day? Can I just do this and feel good about it? I mean, do I really need to slow down and pray and ask God for guidance and actually be in that relationship every day? Or can I just do my thing? But I read 15 minutes this morning. I, I, you know, I checked off my you know, new covenant law list. You know, 15 minutes of prayer or this, gave some charity. You know, No, that's the law. It's Old Testament. Or you sit there and go, God, what do you want to do today? Are you, you know, rule my life. I want to... I wanna, live in your peace and your rest and your Sabbath, you know? Do I, do I really have to honor my mother and my father? That's like an old, isn't that like an Old Testament thing? I mean, I, I'm 18. I'm 18. See, and, and I'm all for this now because I have kids turning 19 and, you know, like, no, you need to still, you know, you don't honor me, you can go move out in a box. We'll provide a box. No. But anyways, you know, not that things, but you, you look at that. Do I really, you know, and, and is it really murder if I, they deserve it. I mean, <laughs> I told me, don't tell me, you know, you guys, ooh, we've all thought that, okay? If you don't think you're guilty of murder, you do not have a driver's license in the state of California. Because somebody cuts you off, ah, you know. This isn't really adultery. This isn't, you know, this isn't really an adulterous situation, you know. It, it's, you know, I don't know how many times it scares me in the world. I mean, as we've, we've shared with people, we have people, you know, in our lives and stuff. What do you mean pornography is adultery? I mean, what do you, you expect them not to do anything? They're teenage boys. Uh-huh. I mean, it, it's sad, Right? It is, it is totally sad. Well, but, but is this really? Or, but was this really stealing? You know? It's really stealing. It's the IRS. It doesn't count. I mean, you know? Bear false witness. We never do that, right? Never tell somebody something untrue about somebody else. And we definitely never do the last one, right? We never covenant. But Lord, this isn't covenanting. This brand new such and such that our neighbor has would be awesome blessing in my life. It's not coveting, Lord. And you know you want to bless me, Lord, just the same way, you know. And you realize the insurance and the car payment with that blessing. Now, you sit there and though we can question it and be just like this guy. I mean, I, I you know, at first it's like, oh, I don't like this guy, you know. And, and um, I don't have a lot of experiences with lawyers, so you, you kind of have that conversation right to begin with, right? Ah, I don't want to be that. You know, but um, I guess in that case, people would be all after me. You don't want a roofer. Most of the guys, yeah. I run a lot of people. I've had a lot of bad experiences with roofers for some reason. Anyways, but um, you look at that, and you look at these things, and we can do that. But, but what is this, Lord? Or, or we start to justify. 
And that's something you've got to seek your heart. If you ever find yourself trying to justify yourself, you know, and what's amazing, we can't even go as far to find a scripture to justify ourselves, right? Like, I have this point of view. Now I'm going to go find a scripture to help support that. And, and what's amazing is sometimes, and I take this because it, it happens and then it makes me really be careful of what I want to, or careful how I say and, and really look at things, you know. You ever have somebody quote you a scripture to justify their action and it's totally out of context and it should convict the crud out of them, but they're just, they just like Googled online. Ah, I got something to throw at you. And then it's like, do you really realize what you just told me? I mean, Let's do a Bible study on that together, and then we'll see who threw what at. No. But anyways, that would not be loving sometimes. Um, but we justify, and so if you're justifying something, you know, but, but, the question, God, I'll obey you, but, but who's my neighbor? Wait a minute, let's, let's define this. Let's, let's put this in a thing, and I, I love Jesus, how he responds here. He doesn't quite answer the guy, but he, he answers him kind of, if you would, indirectly. He makes him think, kind of asks him a question back, you know. And I, I just love that where it's not a this or that. It's here, let's, let's slow down. Let's, we're going to reveal something here. I'm going to ask you a question, and, and we're going to see, see what's in our heart, what's in your heart here. And Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among the thieves, stripped him of his clothes, wounded him, and departed him, leaving him half dead. Now, there was a road from Jerusalem down to Jericho, okay, and it's like a canyon, and it kind of snakes through, um, and it's a dangerous road. It's known for being bloody. It's through an area where the Samaritans were that did not like the Jewish people, um, even, even up to a century ago, there's been a British, a British guy was beaten and robbed and killed there a century ago. So that's the reputation of this place. I mean, I know we have some bad cities and stuff, but can you imagine it being a bad road for like 1,000 years, 2,000 years? That's pretty crazy, right, to think. So this place is there. And, and, and when you hear this and Jesus starts to share the story, when, when he says, hey, there's a certain man and he went down this road, everybody there is thinking they know what road this is. This is like foolish. This is like, um, you know, I, I'm more from Southern California originally, but that's like you went to the bad part of Tijuana and you're sitting in a park with an iPad or uh, your, your MacBook and somebody beat you up and took it. You'd be like, yeah, and what, what were you, what did you think was going to happen? You know, you, it's like, you know, our, the, the thought would be, of course, you went down this road alone. That was reckless. That was foolish. You'd, I mean, and, and if anything, you deserve what you got for being, you know, dumb. You know, you'd say, well, stupid should hurt, you know. I mean, that would be kind of the attitude as you tell the story. So he starts to share this story. And so you have a scene. He starts to paint this picture. So this man goes down. And now by chance, a certain priest came down the road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levi, when he arrived at the place, he came and looked and passed by on the other side. So you have these two religious men, and, and we hear the priest, he's coming down, so he's done in the Jewish temple, whatever he was doing there, and he's headed home, he's headed back. And actually, Jericho was, um, they usually didn't travel this road, but Jericho was known to have a lot of priests. It was kind of a higher in area at that time. And so this would be common. You'd have priests and, and the Levites and, and government, if you would, officials, religious leaders, uh, religious officials heading back that way. And 
You know, it's interesting when you look at some of the commentaries and stuff, and even scary with this portion of scriptures, both these religious men hear their head in and they, they pass on the other side. I love that, the, you know, it's pointed out, Dave Gusick says, pointed out that it's down because that's on the opposite side of the road. Because some of these guys go, well, he's a priest. He cannot touch somebody who's bloody and stuff. He would have been unclean and unfit for service. No, he's heading down. That means he's heading a waif. He's already been at the temple. He's done his service. He's already served the Lord. He was there offering sacrifices, doing those things, and now he's leaving. He's headed home. Right? And, and then there are others who, you know, go, well, you know, they're justified by, you know, they couldn't have done it. They're this. There's actually people that teach that, or felt, it, it's crazy. They teach that this proves, this story proves that pastors and laymen aren't supposed to get their hands dirty, that it's for the people in the church or lay people to do. Yeah, so if you get there, I'll be praying for you. I just, I don't, you know, and you see it, and it's like, wow, you talk about some of the scary stuff. But you have these two guys, and, and so every priest was a Levi, but not every Levi was a priest. To be a priest, you had to be of the lineage of Levi. But So you have these two men, right, that are there, and they're going down, and then here's this, this man, this certain Jewish man, and he's there, and he's beaten up, and they pass by. And they even make sure, you know, kind of keep on the other side of the road, keep some distance. And you, you can think of all kinds of reasons why they would have done this, you know. Uh, you can think, okay, so there's this, they're heading home. Maybe it's a trap, right? That's a, that's a trap, you know, you pull over. I mean, um, there, you know, you stop, help somebody with a flat tire. There's certain counties you don't want to do that in because there's been traps, you know, we get uh, hitchhikers from, you know, Oregon, everything else. They come down, they get Sacramento, and suddenly they slow way down hitchhiking. Every once in a while, I'll stop, I'll pick one up, talk to them, and, you know, help them out with a bus ticket or something and just explain to them, I don't know where you're from, but you are not hitchhiking through Southern California. You see how nobody's picking you up anymore? That's the first step. The second step is they pick you up and you disappear. <laughs> you don't hitchhike through Southern California. This isn't the rest of the country. People aren't nice. They're not, you know, you know, praise God for wherever you grew up. That, that's a okay thing to do. But I grew up down there. You do not hitchhike. You run to a call box and you don't let it go. No, I mean, honestly, the side of the road's a bad place. It's a dangerous place. You know, and, and very much so, you look at all the reasons of why I couldn't stop. We're busy, you know. But instead of the reasons they do, you sit there and go, okay, God, when I see somebody in this situation, they're beat up, they're wounded, what are the reasons I don't stop? What are the excuses I've given, I've done? You know, i got to get home to my family. I've served at the church. I've been busy all day. I need to get home. I'm running late. You know, um, I've used that one. Yeah. Family. Oh, i got to go to church. I'm on my way to church. I'm on my way to serve you, Lord, so I cannot stop and serve you by serving this person, you know? Or that person is hopeless. They're, they're, just, they're too far gone, Lord. You know, their, heart, their heart's got to be too hardened, you know? Or I don't know how to help that person, right? You run into somebody, and, and if we've helped out with homeless and everything else, what happens when you get somebody and they're talking to themselves and going crazy? What's your first thought? They need a medical professional, right? No, they need the great physician. They need Jesus. Because a lot of medical professionals can't help them. 
You know, and we sit there and we come up with one. Oh, this, you know, this is way too big of an issue for one person. This guy beat up here. I don't have the supplies. I don't have anything I need. Or, or I don't know. See, see, I've done this one. You guys don't do this one. I say I don't pray a lot, so this is most of my time lying to myself. But I'll stop. Oh, see that person? Yes, that's what. I'll add them to my prayer list. Right? I'm praying for you, bro. See you later. Sorry you're bleeding over there and dying, but I'll pray for you. You walk down the road, you know, I'm too busy to stop. And, and that's the thing is we can look at this situation, we can come up with all kinds of reasons why we don't stop to help or we don't do those things where our heart isn't there. And not to say there's always more needs than we can do. The first and foremost thing is, what is God telling you to do? He knows what situation that is. He knows it's a trap. He knows what's there. If God guides you to do it, he provides. He's going to provide the resources. He's going to provide the energy. He's going to provide the wisdom. He's going to provide all those things. You know, we've had people in our house. And my wife, you know, she's awesome. We're, we're going, so, uh, yeah, 20 years of marriage on Monday. And um, Ultimately, I have no clue how we do the ministry we do because there's many times we'll run into somebody here after Bible study or something and I'll talk to them and kind of fill them out. I'm like, okay, hon, we kind of have, I kind of have a, a, a couple minute rule, you know. I usually say, hey, I'll be back in 15 minutes or let's go get you something and just give them a time. You know, 15 minutes. If they're dire and they're on the street and they really need help, 15 minutes is nothing. They're going to wait. If they're trying to scam you, they don't wait 15 minutes. They're gone. Okay? So usually I'll say, hey, honey, I met this person, this and this. I have to go, just pray. I might be bringing them home, I might not. Right? I know some of you guys in here are like, that's insane. Yeah, it is. But God leads every time. And there's been a lot of people we haven't brought home. There's just no peace about it. There's other people we brought home God's done amazing things with. And there's other people that, you know, praise God, they left in the middle of the night and didn't murder us, I guess. I don't know. You know, we, we've had weird things. You know, tire weights, you know, the lead tire weights you find on the side of the road? Guy disappeared in the middle of the night, and there was a pile of those in our toilet. So, anyways, still pray for him. You know, he was, he was a, a geo, I don't know, he was a geo prospector. He looked for geos up in the woods or something, yeah. Anyways, so, um, you know, sometimes it's, it's strange, but we pray, and so there's not every need, every person you stop out, but every person God tells you to go to, go to. How many times have you walked by and go, man, maybe I should do that, maybe I shouldn't? You know, God, I feel a tugging, but I'm just going to, I can get through five more minutes. It won't be an option to serve you anymore, Lord. I'll, yeah, too late. Sorry, I blew it. I'll, you know, regret it. And so anyways, as we continue to look at it, we have the next person in the story. In verse 33, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion So he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine, and set, or as he set him upon his own animal, brought him to an inn, took care of him. And on the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying to, and said to him, "Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will come again and I will repay you." Now, Jesus, right now in the story, people are listening, listening intently, and you talk about throwing um, a bold statement out there. You know, people would have gasped, a what? You know, you, you think, you know, 
the racism here, the religious hatred for the Sumerians, for the Jews, these are people that would kill each other. You know, right now, before this statement, every person in that audience is convinced the Sumerians got this guy. It's them who's beat him up, not robbers, not thieves. It has to be this group of people. That obviously, they, you went there. That's a, you know, they don't like you. You know, um, and, and the Samaritans had good reason not to like the Jews back just as well. You know, rabbis had taught, uh, Dave Gusick was quoting one rabbi, he goes, you know, Dave, Jewish rabbis were taught not to help a Sumerian woman who was in stress giving birth, distress giving birth. Because if they succeeded in helping her, there would be another Samaritan in the world, and that would be wrong. Ooh, you know, like, you want to hate a group of people back? That's, that's rough, right? And so you have this, and Jesus puts that out there. You know, at, at the same time, when this is going on, by then the, the Jewish leaders are starting to call Jesus a Samaritan. Don't you say, right, that you're a Samaritan, that you're a half-breed? You know, that you're, you know? And so even, I mean, him even throwing this out on top of it would make it, you know, if you were there and you are already accusing him of being a Samaritan, just would add to your fuel, you know, in that sense of fury. And here Jesus just boldly goes, hey, this Samaritan stops. It's interesting when you look at it. Here you have these religious officials had nothing to offer. Nothing to offer. But the Samaritan had everything. He had all the supplies needed to take care of him. He was fully equipped for it, right? And the religious people had nothing. You know, the religious people were indignant, totally against, non-compassionate. And here you had the Samaritan who was compassionate. You know, many times when you look at religion in the world and in in fellowships and in all kinds of things and in people's lives, it's self-serving. The religious, the religious is for themselves. It's to benefit themselves. It's you're to serve them. And that is not who our Lord was. That is not the example we're given here. It is just the opposite. It is compassion. And from that compassion, he ends up sacrificing to serve. You know, you, you look at this. He sacrificed his time, his resources, his money to take care of this person, which he had no obligation to do. You know, you imagine the, the man there when he saw the Jewish priest probably, yes, I'm saved, I'm not going to get beaten again. It's not another robber. The Samaritan guy, he might have been sitting there the whole time going, where is he taking me, you know? He's, I'm on a dog, you know? And, and it's interesting to see, you look at um, just the world in a sense, and, and, and when you serve the Lord and you're sacrificing as he has, people start to trip out. They, they don't understand. The world doesn't, can't make sense of that. When you're serving sacrificially, when you are being Christ-like, the world is baffled by it. You talk about the Ten Commandments. Well, if you're serving and you're sacrificing for anybody, those are all easy, isn't it? It's easy to fulfill the law. Because the whole law is summed up in love your neighbor as yourself. You sacrifice for yourself, don't you? Yeah, you sacrifice your time at work, you sacrifice to get things. Now, loving your neighbor as yourself, you know? And, and um, there, there's all kinds of ways God can prompt you on that. But how, when you sit down and you look at it and you go, okay, are, are we willing to serve and sacrifice? 
The Christian walk is being Christ-like. He laid aside heaven, laid aside all his authority, all his position, came down and died on a cross for our sins. And you go, well, you know, if I don't want to get in that situation over there. If, I, if I'm at work and that person starts going off on me, they, they don't deserve it. They're ungodly. You know, well, what would Jesus do in that situation? You're willing to lay his life down, willing to sacrifice. You know, not to be right. Lay, I mean, you talk about an injustice. Hey, you're putting me on the cross for what? I'm right here. You guys are wrong. You forget. And he had the power to, from, to remove himself from it. Went willingly. You know, and, and in the verse 36 here, he, he just, he, he, you know, kind of puts it right back on this lawyer here. He says, so which one of these threes do you think was neighborly to whom who fell among the thieves? Ooh, ouch, right? How do you answer that one? Uh, so he responds, he said to him, the Samaritan. No, he says he, right? He ain't even going to say the Samaritan. He who showed mercy on him. Well, I don't want to use the same name in the story. We're going to say, oh, the guy that showed mercy on him. And Jesus answered and said to him, go and do likewise. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a, a, high, a high calling, right? To sacrifice and serve others. But to have that heart, um, it only comes from being in, in fellowship with Christ and walking with him. You know, when we go out and we share the gospel with people, there's, we're not after a benefit. We're not, you know, there. It's not like, you know, the guy on the road to Samaria, he, he didn't pull him out and go, okay, let's talk about your religious views and everything else before I helped you. No, I'm going to help you. I'm going to love you even if you're against me. You know, amazing how many times we've gone out and I've gone out and we've shared the gospel with somebody. We're, we're talking to them or whatever conversation, just talking sports or whatever, and go, hey, can, is it okay if we ask you some spiritual questions? And the response is, no. Okay. Well, God bless you and this and this and that. And, you know, and hey, you mentioned that uh, you were here because, you know, your son's having a problem. Can we pray for him? Sure. You're done praying? Hey, well, so what were those spiritual questions you wanted to ask me? What, what changed? What changed? I wasn't going to get in an argument with him or you need to know that. No, what changed? I'm just going to love on you. I'm going to let God and the Holy Spirit move your heart. We're just going to share God's love with you and come. We're willing to pray for you. You know, I've, 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 I haven't ever had anybody um, mad at me. I've, I've had one guy that said, you know, he doesn't like God and everything else. And you find out, you know, his little brother died when he was young and he blames God and these things. And in the end, he still let us pray for him. You know, I hate God, but so can we pray to that God for you? Sure. Kind of funny how a conversation goes somewhere sometimes, you know. And you sit there and you go through it, and the reason Jesus can ask us is because, number one, he was compassionate on us. How many times have we seen in Luke, the crowd, the multitude, where we see the same word? Jesus had compassion. Isn't it awesome that he didn't come in judgment? He came as a land. He was willing. He had compassion for us. So much compassion to lay his life down for us. As we were sitting there beat, bruised, and naked and deserve it, he had compassion on us. As we're foolish and we get ourselves into situations, he's still loving and compassionate on us. You know, it's amazing. It's like, you know, you, if you were to picture this, this road in our lives, many times there's all these warnings we blow by, right? Like, 
Don't go down that road. You're going to get beaten. It's going to suck. This and this and this. That sin is going to cause destruction. You go down it. You end up in that situation. And God lovingly, compassionately comes back to us. You know, you look at the... There's kind of a comparison in Scripture here. You see, when you look at the bandages... Okay, so God used him. He bandaged him, right, with wounds. And he poured oil, which is usually representing the Holy Spirit in the scripture, and wine. Why would you pour wine on a wound? Because it had anesthetic purposes. The alcohol, it was a cleansing agent. Very much like the blood of Christ representing the wine cleans us. God gives us his Holy Spirit. He watches us with his blood. He carries us. This man took him, got off his horse, our animal, put him up there, and he walked instead. He carried us. It's done in his strength. He brings us to an inn, which many times, and hopefully would be a church or a group of believers that are there, that are going to help, that are going to care for you. And then he paid the cost. He paid the price for that care, and to take care of us and carry us to the end. And then he's going to return. And he's going to settle all the debts. That's our Savior. And it's interesting because we can get so puffed up spiritually and think we're something spiritually and we study the Word so much that we can miss having compassion. Somehow we think we can serve God and our knowledge and our understanding of theology and these things and be so puffed up spiritually and miss actually loving and serving on people and, and caring. You know, I'm so, so deep in this theology that I can't even slow down to see what your need is. I have to share my point of view on this scripture instead of first asking you, hey, how's this life? How are you doing? I mean, can I pray for you? That happened? You're, you know, I, there was one time I remember, um, confession time, I guess. I don't usually plan these things out. There was one time I remember really talking to a, a fellow kid in school who was a believer, and I remember just talking to him, and um, man, it was just the wrong time. I remember, oh, yeah, well, this and this, and we're talking about, you know, balance of the tongues in the church and everything else. I went to a different church across town, and we're talking, well, no, it's got to be in order, this and this, and started, and then just at a point, and his face changed, and I was like, oh, what did I say? Like this and this, and he's like, yeah, well, I don't know right now. I just, I just, need, I just need, you know, I just, just need God to do something miraculous. My mom's got cancer, and I was like, oh, what was I doing? proven a point and here this guy's finding out his mom's in cancer and I knew I knew him well I mean we played on a football team together and I didn't know that was going on you know he wasn't going to run around school telling everybody I was like what it just it hit me so sideways like you arrogant idiot I mean why are you here here's here out of everybody we could argue with in school it weren't believers here I mean you know some of my time trying to convince you know stupid theology stuff over instead of praying for him you know, and I think how many times this past week, you know, I, I'm the type of guy, when you see an accident at the side of the road, Heidi hates me. I got that, um, I don't know, if being fire explorer and everything younger. I like to, I get out and I'll help. I'll go get in the middle of it. You know, she's just asked, please park the car farther away next time. Some of that stuff would be gory, and I, I've done it, and I've done it repeatedly, you know, and I'll, I'll get out and I'll, I'll be willing to help and stop in a heartbeat, you know. I don't know if it's a, you know, a hero complex, whatever you want to call it, you know, just what, what I've done, and, and some of it is because I know what I'm doing. I've had some training. I can actually help, you know. And um, 
And sometimes you get out just because you see people and like you're still standing. Get out of the middle of the road before this ends up more people, you know, and basic things because you know how to help. And it's interesting, though, as you get equipped, as you see how God works, as he teaches you in your life how to overcome sin and deal with those things that attack us and those things. And now you see a friend or somebody who's robbed by sin, sitting in pain and stuff. And now you know, hey, I know how to stop in the situation and help. God, what do you want me to do? How do I share? Am I equipped? Do I know the word of God? Am I ready to share God's love? And many times, you know, I've always thought I've needed to be more ready than, there, there's never been a time where I thought, yes, I'm ready to go do this ministry. No, nope. it's always way before I thought it was ever going to happen. You know, I was, I've never been ready. I mean, me and Pat, when we sat down and we're talking, and I said, you know, I think it's maybe I need to see about slowly transitioning out and relationships here in town and stuff. I think maybe we'll start a Bible study back up in Lodi possibly and just praying and this and that. And he goes, so you certain you're called to be a senior pastor? Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm thinking, yeah, senior pastor, you know, home Bible studies for three years, right? That sounds like, you know, a long ways off. And he sits there and he looks at me and his face changes and he goes, you know what, God's telling me I need to transition out. So three months, we're going to transition. I'm like, Lord, I'm not ready. What am my three-year plan? I mean, <laughs> I ain't ready for that. I ain't equipped. And then you find out, no, he's equipped you. He's faithful. And he provides all those things. And it, it's really hard to go, how many times during the week do you walk by people at work or at places and do you sit down and ask, take a moment to care? You know, it's always interesting, like you taught, I mentioned even last week, you know, we, we lie to each other in the grocery store line. The first thing the person does when you're checking out your groceries, lie to you, right? What do they ask? How are you doing? They don't want to know. Right? In our society, that's a quick, boom, no, you're supposed to say yes and go on. And like I joked before, when I had cancer, they'd ask, how are you doing? I said, ah, I just found out I have cancer. And they're, oh, good. And then they'd stop a minute. Like, what, what did you, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean, you know, you sit down and you look at those things and, you know, I have, I just, oh, that's me, I'm, I'm mean that way. But, you know, you sit down and you ask and take the time. One of the major, main things, I mean, we've gone out and do E, one of the biggest things we've done is, hey, you go out to the subway or whatever, ask somebody, your server, hey, we like to pray before we eat, can we pray for you? I still encourage people to do that. Uh, you know, I've shared the story before, but for those who don't know it, it's out fixing a guy's roof, talking to him, and he's been a believer for years and all this, and uh, I was just sharing with him. He goes, you know, this and this, and thanks for helping me out. I'd just like to, you know, how would I, you know, help you out, maybe send him to church? I said, oh, if you want to do something, do this one thing for me. Next time you go out and you have a server and you use the subway example, ask the lady if you can pray for her. So months go by. It's February. I get a call. He goes, hey, I don't know if you remember me. You were over at my house, and you say I should go pray for you, and I'll go so. So me and my wife, I took it serious. Me and my wife went to Subway so we could ask the lady, and we did. And turns out her car had broken down, so she goes, yeah, my car broke down. And then I'm thinking, I know some mechanics at work, and so we maybe help her out with her car, helped her out with her car, found out her husband was bit by a spider and brown recluse and was in the hospital, and here's Christmas is coming, and all our grandkids moved away, and so we had her over for Christmas, and it's just been amazing getting to know her, and she's coming to church, and... Yes. Slow down. Pray for people. You know what's amazing about this young generation, too? Everybody goes, oh, this, you know, the field, the, you know, you want to talk about, oh, the problem's too big? Right? This generation. How do you get them to look up from their phone? Right? That's problem's too big. You got you to gotta have a really catchy, like, you need to do 
five-minute sermons or 15-minute sermons that you can put on YouTube and clips, you know, and you've got to be relevant and you, you know, post and repost and boost or whatever. I don't even know all the terminology, right? That's the only way you're going to reach these kids. No. Every time we've gone out with EE and I've talked to kids that are high school age or young age, and you look at them, hey, my name's Tim, nice to meet you, what do you, the devices go down. You know what they're missing in their life? Like human and Connor, they like it. It's weird. It's like, you actually see me, not my avatar, and you want to talk to me. Yes. You know, this is what real humans look like. We talk, we come, you know, and some of them have learned to speak English. It's pretty cool. You know, they've learned different language than texting, you know. But no, every time, and they're hungry for truth. Hungry for truth. I, I can't think of... I cannot think of a time I've come across in the last two years of somebody under the age of 18 that hasn't prayed to accept Christ the first time I met them. Anytime I've come across them, and I mean, we were over here at Spin Cycle last time the thing came over and there's a kid sitting there and he's got his headphones in and everything else. I went over like this and he... Hi, my name is Stan. What do you do? Oh, listen to this. You're waiting for laundry to get down? Oh, can I talk to you a minute? Yeah, sure. And You know what I mean? Right away, it's like... You know, this is the gospel, and there's a God who loves you. That makes sense? Yeah. Do you want to be, begin a relation? Yeah. And then it went to get his, his number. His brother started um, having a hard time. His, his brother was, uh, had some mental struggles and could tell, like, Mom told him, don't talk to strangers. So his, brothers were, his brother was done at that point. Don't give him your number. Like, they're a cult. Said, yes. But I've been called a cult leader, so yes, come join our cult now. Uh, but it's awesome. So... Just this week as we sit here and we look and go, okay, are we compassionate? Do, are we loving our neighbor? You can sit down and go through all the Old Testament law, but if you're just sitting there going, God, do I love you? Am I seeking you? Guide my life. Show me how to be compassionate and loving. This world is desperate for it. They don't even recognize it. It's baffling to them. You slow down and help somebody. It's like, oh, let me give you. No, I'm just helping you with your tire. I'm just helping you. It's not a big deal. You don't have. This is called human kindness. This was a thing that used to be faked. Now, you can't fake it anymore because nobody's doing it. I mean, it's amazing. Slow down. Love on people. When there's somebody there that's hurting, you, know, you, you look at a situation. Name a situation that you're not equipped with when you know the Word of God. Marital problems. Well, you know, if you're... I don't know about you, but I know... We go to the Word of God, and God corrects me or corrects my wife, and it's been awesome for 20 years. I can't imagine it's going to get, I don't know how it's going to get better in the next 20 years. We get to keep growing deeper, deeper in love. Can't imagine. Well, we're having marital problems, but this is what we do. I mean, God, show me an answer. Show me how to love this person. You, when you have the truth of God's Word in a world where there's very little to no truth, you're more equipped than anybody out there. Psychologists don't have it figured out. Okay, basic psychology summary here. You see a check engine light on your dash. Does that make you feel bad? Yes, it does. It means there's something wrong. Okay, what we're going to do, we're going to put some black tape over it. Keep driving your car and just think positive thoughts. What's going to happen? The car's going to blow up. Now, the truth sucks. The truth is there's a check engine light. It means you're going to have to get dirty into your car. But if you don't, it's going to fall apart at a point. 
Ask a single psychologist if they've ever healed anybody. No. It's like your chiropractor. They always want you to come back for the next appointment, right? You're good. You don't need to see me. for No, there's always, let's set another appointment. I like my chiropractor, but still. Um, have compassion, and I just love this example, and, and we can get so wrapped up in religion and simply not just loving our neighbors. Loving God, not loving our neighbors. Waking up in the morning going, God, what do you have planned for my life? And we serve a God who does miraculous things. Who can put you in San Francisco where you walk around a corner and there's the guy you've been praying for. That's the God we serve because he's compassionate. He's compassionate enough to seek me out to find me. And so many others. And he's waiting. He's desiring. The Bible says what? The harvest field is plentiful and there's too many workers? No. The workers are few. The harvest field is plentiful. Stop. So challenge you this one week. Ask somebody to pray for him. Hey, is there something I can pray for you? See what happens. Let's pray. Phil, if you'd come up. Dear God, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you that you love us so much. That you were willing to have compassion on us, Father. Compassion we did not deserve, but by your grace you decided. You looked upon us. You looked upon us in our sin and in our destruction, God, and you desired to save us, to wash us, to make us pure, to make us your holy, righteous bride. To give us the ability to walk in a righteous way. Give us the ability to love those around us, Father, no matter where they come from, what walk of life or how bleak or desperate their situation is, Father. We know you are the answer. We know you are all they need. We know you are all this world needs, Father. Give us our heart, your heart. Give us your eyes for those who are around us who are in need, regardless of their station in life, if they look financially well and well off, or if they're pushing a shopping cart, God, we just pray you would open our eyes, that your Holy Spirit would go upon us, Go before us. Give us a heart just to pray for your direction each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.